James chapter 5, and we're going to kind of finish up our time in James here this morning. So I want to read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God, we just pray your blessing on the preaching of your word this morning. You would give me the words to say, second time through here, God, that you would give strength, that we would hear from your spirit what you want us to hear this morning, to change us, to sanctify us. For the glory of Jesus Christ and the building up of the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Zach had been saving for a while. Sorry, Zach. I'm calling you out, man. This is good. Zach had been saving for a while. And he finally saved enough money. He got himself an Xbox. Woo! Somebody, someone's happy about it. Zach, someone shares your joy out there. Wow. And so he got a, a few different games. And one of the games he got was Battlefront. Got any Battlefront fans? Got a few. All right. Oh, nice. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, and he had an old Xbox. So I've re-entered the world of modern video games a little bit, but now I'm a little bit more so. And, and it's a little disconcerting growing up in the age of Atari, right? Atari. Does anyone remember Atari? The old Nintendo, right? But Atari was great, right? I mean, so now Zach throws the remote at me, and I'm like, there's 33 buttons on this remote. Like, remember the Atari? There was... One joystick and one button. And Space Invaders, man, I could kill it, right? Pac-Man, you didn't have to use the button. <laughs> Pac-Man, uh, Defender, Asteroids, right? So now, I, you know, Zach pulls these games up, and I'm like, huh? and he's like, Dad, it's easy. It's like A, B, Y, right bumper, left bumper, left trigger, right bumper, A, B, Y. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then, and then things happen, right? So we put Battlefront on, and the, the, the screen comes up, and, and he's like, okay, Dad, you got to choose your weapon. I'm like, oh, okay, easy. 33 weapons come up. I'm like, and, and you, you highlight one, and there's like these stats on it, right? Like recharge and, and lethalness and how many, you know, shots. Per, I'm like, ah. And they go like, go to the next one. Like, I don't, what, and he's like, Dad, just, just take the heavy blaster. It's like, is that usually the one, right? The heavy blaster? I don't know, Lincoln, right? That's a good one. Um, and uh, so, so I'm just about like, but that's always my first, there's that and the Rocket League. We do Rocket League, right? And it's the same thing. It's like, you know, pole position, you just got a car and you raced with it, right? Rocket League, there's like 30 cars to choose from. And I'm like, which one? Do I want the fast one? Do I want the one that turns fast? Do I want the one that's like stronger? Do I want like the one that can't be shot? So my first question to Zach when we play these games is I'm like, just, just, just tell me what's the best weapon. Just, just, just tell me. Like, which one do I pick? Which car do I pick? Just tell me. And he always, you know, tells me that. And Okay, good. And then we go on and I proceed to embarrass him. 
No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't work that way. But anyway, so the best weapon. That's my first question. That's just what I want to know. Tell me what the best one is. Book of James, he's given us all these things throughout the book. Right? Be joyful in suffering. Learn how to control your tongue. Learn how to be patient in suffering. Guard your relationships within the body. Patiently wait amidst the persecution of the diaspora. I think what James is doing here as he closes this thing up, he's really simplifying things for us. And don't overthink all of this. How do we navigate all this, James? How do, how do I navigate all this amidst the pressures of a, of a broken world and the pressures of persecution? And James says, let me boil it down to you. There's two really simple things. I'm going to give you two weapons. And it's real easy. Pray and deal with sin. Pray and deal with sin. And that's how James closes his letter. And, and, and these two things, as you read here, they're so intertwined. I didn't even try. Like, usually, you know, you're, you're supposed to come up with this, like, cute outline that sometimes, you know, you've heard Jeff say this in the past. Sometimes uh, you can outline the life out of a text. And so I'm not even going to try to do it. I'm just going to follow James' train of thought here because he does. He goes kind of weaves from, like, prayer to dealing with sin, back to prayer to dealing with sin. And it all kind of is connected. But these are two great weapons that he has given us, that if we take seriously the call to prayer, and if we take seriously the call to deal with sin in the community, we're going to be okay. Okay? So this is where he starts. Talk to God about everything. Talk to God about everything. He gives us this in the first verse, or the first verse we're talking about today, right? If you're suffering, pray. If you're joyful, pray. There's the two extremes right there. And implied in this, I believe, is this. Pray when it's bad, pray when it's good, and every time in between. James says the way you navigate, the way you survive, is to cultivate a life of prayer in the good times and in the bad times. But this, if we're honest this morning, and if you're like me, is not easy to do. The prayer life is one of the most difficult things to to maintain and to intensely approach every single day. Is it not? It's It's a struggle. It's a fight. I struggle with it myself. It's not easy. The enemy does not want us to pray. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis in uh, the Screwtape Letters. This is where Uncle Screwtape, the senior demon, is discipling uh, his little younger Padawan demon. And he writes to him this about prayer. He writes, worry him, worry the Christian, Worry the Christian with the haunting suspicion that the practice of prayer is absurd and can have no objective result. And don't forget to use the heads-I-win, tails-you-lose argument. If the thing he prays for doesn't happen, then that is one more proof that petitionary prayer doesn't work. If it does happen, he will, of course, be able to see some of the physical causes which led up to it, and therefore it would have happened anyway, and thus, granted prayer becomes just as good a proof as as a denied one that prayers are ineffective, right? The enemy wants us to think prayer doesn't work, and if we're honest, we've kind of all been there, right? Like, why am I doing this? It doesn't work. Why am I doing this? It's literally bouncing off the ceiling and hitting the floor. That's, that's what my prayer is doing. And we can go discouraged in it. That's what the enemy wants us to think, that this is doing nothing, that it doesn't matter. But exhortations to pray are all throughout the New Testament, right? 
all throughout the New Testament. We don't have time to go there, and I don't have to convince you of that, right? Paul and Romans and Ephesians 6, after you put on the armor, all the armor of God, pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Hebrews, on and on we could go. Pray, 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 pray. It's one of the greatest weapons that God has given us. James joins in this call to prayer here, right? When you're sad, when you're suffering, pray. This refers to distress, times of struggle, times of difficult circumstances. It could be financial. We've seen some of these things in the book of James, right? There's financial struggles. could be physical ailments, certainly emotional struggles. He's saying pray. Pray when you're happy. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool, right? When you're feeling that way, pray. The, the, the little translation is here, let him psalm. Let him psalm. Let him sing. Let him make music. This is Psalm 57.7. My heart is steadfast, right? My heart is good. My heart is locked on. Therefore, I will pray and make melody. So we can't neglect prayer in the good times either, right? Do you, do you ever just stop and pray and, and, and just thank God for things? Even in the midst of difficult and challenging times? Do you thank him for your salvation? Do you praise him and thank him for his grace? When he does bless you with specific things, do you stop and say, God, thank you for that? Thank you for giving me that. Is that a regular part of your life? I remember one time Todd DeCrager and I were driving to Chicago. We are going to go to a Cubs game. And we're driving, and it's a beautiful day. We're on the highway. We're probably about 30, 40 minutes into our trip. And uh, it's a beautiful morning, and we're going to go to the Cubs. We're going to get pizza at Giordano's, just hang out for the day in Chicago. And you remember, you know, if those of you remember Todd, he's just like driving. He's like, man, what a day. Look around. We're going to a baseball game in Chicago, you know, Giordano's. Man, God is so good. You know what, Craig? Why don't we just take the next few minutes while we're driving? Let's just, let's just praise God and, and, and offer thanksgiving and praise. And I'm like, dude, I'm driving. <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, uh, I guess, actually, yeah, why not? And I've often thought back to that, like, because like, we're like, well, yeah, no, let's do that. Maybe when we stop or before we eat, we'll do that. Or when we get to church Sunday, we'll, but like, no, like why isn't driving my car on the way to Chicago an appropriate time just to stop and praise God? I'm good. Everything's great right now. Let's, let's talk about it. I mean, do we ever do that? We get together. We have friends over at, at the house around the dinner table. We're like, hey, you know what? While we're eating, why don't we just offer praise to God for what he's done? Like, oh, okay. It's not prayer time, but I guess we could do that, right? When you have your friends over, right? Students, you have your friends over. Your buddies come over to play Battlefront, right? Hey, Bob, before we play Battlefront, let's, let's praise God for some things. Right? That should, that should come naturally to us. We are prone at times to not go to God when we're in need, but we can also forget to go to him when things are good. Listen, prayer is the greatest demonstration of trust and faith and dependency on God. This is what characterized the early church. This is where they drew their strength and their power and their courage and their depth of conviction. And remember, James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So all this stuff we read in Acts, all these successes and powerful moments that they had, that was James. James was living that. James was leading them in Acts. Much of what we read about the church was characterized by prayer, and James was at the heart of that They understood that prayer was the appropriate response when God did great things, and they understood that prayer was their first line of defense. 
And we have time to look at all the passages, but Acts chapter 1, they joined themselves constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which by the way was 3 in the afternoon. Acts 4, 23 through 31, they lifted their voices together to God. This is when the threats were being made against them. And they said, God, look upon their threats and grant that your servants would have power to continue to proclaim the word of God. Acts 6, 4, the leaders, the elders, the deacons, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 12, when Peter was in prison, remember the believers got together. It says they were fervently praying together during the night at the house of Mary. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed over and over and over again. So when James is exhorting us to pray, he's speaking out of experience. He knows the struggle, the desperation, and the discouragement that comes in the battle that the people of God are engaged in every day, and he knows that prayer is the necessary remedy for all of it. This is how we navigate. Prayer is a weapon, and he knows that prayer reveals our dependency. What do you depend on this morning? You got that video there, Luke? What do you depend on? Check this out. So who's it gonna be? Tom? Could be Danny. Guess it's Aunt Maggie. Should we have another one? Talk to us about retirement today. Feel comfortable about tomorrow. Mass Mutual. <laughs> I have a Maggie. No, I'm just kidding, Maggie. It does. Yeah, they're, they're quite, who are we going to trust? Which one of our kids are we going to trust with our financial future? And they're looking around going, uh, no, uh, uh, no, no. Uh, maybe we should have another one, right? Maybe there should be another option. Isn't that us, right? Where am I putting my trust when things get hard? When they, where am I putting my trust? No, probably not that. No, probably shouldn't put my trust in that. Probably not that. Should there be something else? Yes, pray. Pray. Everything else you're putting your trust in is going to fail, right? Prayer reveals our dependency. Look, here's the thing this morning. The intent is not to guilt you into praying like Walking out of here going, okay, yeah, here's another thing I stink at, (laughs) right? Trust me, starting with me, I know that we don't have to be convinced that we could do better in our prayer lives, that we don't pray enough. If you're like me, we probably all live with a certain degree of low-grade guilt. Man, I need to be praying more, right? So sure, we need to feel conviction about that, and sure, we need to pursue it. But what I want us to leave today feeling more is this pull to engage in prayer because of the incredible blessing and gift that it is. I want us to leave here not going, here's another thing I have to check off the list to be spiritual, but instead leave here thinking, how amazing is it that I have this awesome gift that God has given me, this blessing, this weapon, this tool. How awesome is it that God wants to hear from me? He wants to hear. Parents, you understand this, right? I want to know what my kids are struggling with. I want to know their thoughts. That's what God is towards us. He wants to hear. He wants the conversation. We have that weapon to pick up and use. About a month ago, Jimmy got married. Yay, Jimmy and Carly, right? Uh, We went, Jimmy's um, 
his bachelor party, we went and played paintball at TC Paintball. And uh, most of us rented, rented the paintball equipment. We had the, the guns, and they're, they're pretty nice. They're semi-automatic, and, you know, it's like, you know, as many times as you can pull the trigger, it's, it's going to shoot. And they're, they're decent. They're fun. Uh, Mark Van Sledright went with us, which, by the way, don't ever play, right? He appears not a threat on the paintball. Don't play with Mark Van Sledright. He's a sniper. Um, but Mark's son, Max, has worked there. So he had at his disposal a couple of all these automatic ones, right? So mine goes pop, 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 right? Max's, and, and Jimmy, because he's the groom, right? He gets to use one of the automatic ones. You know what those things do? And I swear they were cranked up to a PSI like three times higher than the rest of ours. Here's the thing. I will not show you this. I still, to this day, it was like a month ago, right, Carl? About a month ago, you got, right, right? I still have a bruise here, here, and here. Still, today, right now. Like, I can push here. This one still hurts. They were awesome. And, and throughout that, that event, you know, the guys would say, you know, they were willing to share on occasion. Like, do you want to use, nobody said, no, I want to keep this gun instead. No, I'll use, can I? <laughs> like, you took it. Because it was an awesome weapon. It was better than the other ones, right? It was a no-brainer. James is going, pray. It's here. Take it. It's a no-brainer. It's the automatic paintball gun. Stop playing with a... Pray. (laughs) Use that instead, right? We'd be dumb to not take it. That's what we're being challenged with. Be amazed that God wants to give us this. Be amazed that God wants us to talk to him. God wants us to unload on him. He wants us to converse with him. These passages, again, we don't have time to unpack all these, but casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting. Throw them on him. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you weary. He wants to help us bear our burdens. Psalm 55, 22, Cast your burdens on the Lord. God doesn't castigate us and condemn us for struggling for having doubts and fears. He's not upset that we go weary and tired and have burdens. He invites us to talk to him so he can minister to us and encourage us and love us. James knows this about his Savior. He knows this about his brother that he walked through life with. This is why he says pray. He saw Jesus grow tired and weary. He knew that Jesus prayed to his Heavenly Father for strength and courage. It's a gift. And here's the thing too, right? God always has time for you. Always. It's never a bad time. It's never a bad time. He's never too busy. Even us fathers at our best, sometimes we can communicate and sometimes we can be too busy to listen to our wives or our kids, right? God's never too busy. You know, your kids ever try to talk to you during a football game, Dad? You know, watching the Ohio State game. <laughs> hey, Dad, blah, blah, blah. and you're kind of like, you either do a couple things. You're either like, you know, can we do this later? Or you, you do that thing where you're like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You have no idea what they're saying, right? This is why, like, I go to, like, Applebee's or Texas Roadhouse with my wife, and I'm, like, I'm, I am made to sit with my back towards the TV's. Because right, my wife knows we're going to sit there eating. And, and then it doesn't matter. It could be like southern Missouri against east Alaska playing football. 
And like, my eyes are going to be like, oh, yeah. You know, she's like, you're not listening to me. Yes, I am. Touched. I'm listening, right? Right? You guys who watch U of M, you know. Kids come, your wives come. No, I'm watching the football game, right? Listen, it's never a bad time for God. He's never distracted by something else. He's never watching U of M football. Sorry. Always a good time. Always has time. Hmm. Why don't we take that? Use that. Lean on others when you're weak and struggling to have faith because God responds to their prayer of faith. James goes on, Is any of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I think part of what's going on here is that there are times, and those of you who've been sick and and faced extended periods of, of discouragement and pain, I think part of what's going on here is that there's just sometimes I don't have the faith to pray. I think that's part of this. Call on the elders. Call on someone else to come and help bear the burden. This is an important point. Notice who initiates this. It's the person who's sick. Let the person who is sick initiate this and call on the elders. There must be a humble willingness to ask for help. That's significant. Here's some thoughts about this. Elders are not superhumans with special connections to God. Right? The text is clear that the power to heal lies with the prayer, not with the elders. Okay? So just get that out of the way. Right? And it's funny. I think people think this way. We often laugh. It's me and a friend of mine, Justin, we're on the board at North Point. And um, you know who always gets asked to pray <laughs> at, the, at the board meeting? It's one of the pastors. So Justin and I always have this little betting thing on who's going to get asked to pray today. It's kind of funny. Um, like family gatherings, Right? Craig, can you pray for, you're like, I'm not the only one with a direct line to the Almighty. It's like, God here, it's like the, remember the old red phone on Ronald Reagan's, you know, the the president's desk, the red phone that had the direct communication, like, I don't have a a red phone to God that you don't have, you know, so that's not what this is, okay? Um, Other people can pray. We were on vacation one time in Hawaii uh, years ago, and, and Kathy's parents took the family out there, and they found out I was a pastor from Michigan, and we went to this little church service, and they asked me to pray twice in the service. I'm like, I'm on vacation, I don't pray. You know, no. I, just kidding, I didn't say I did. It was nice. But, uh, right, but that's not what this is. It's not just that the elders are the only ones who can talk to God. I think part of it is, yes, there is a degree where the elders have been vetted, and they are assumed to be in right relationship with God. Uh, I think part of it is that the elders are responsible to shepherd. So this is a tangible expression of, of their ministry. I think there's one thing here that's significant. I think part of what's going on here, again, I go back to whose initiative this is, is, is it's the person who's sick. This alerts the elders to, to, to needs in the community. They can't know everything. Um, and so when people say, hey, I have this need, it's like, oh, okay, I did not know that. That's, that's important, and especially back then, right? James and Peter weren't checking out Facebook, and like, you know, Peter's like, hey, James, did you see that uh, Paul Kimball is sick? I saw it on the feed today. Yeah, you know, I, like, no, they had to be told. That, that's an important part of this. But here's the thing, I, I think maybe the most significant piece in this is that the elders represent the church body. Uh, this is a communal event. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, if one suffers, all suffer. And I think the elders are a tangible representation of the entire church bearing the burden. Um, I think that's all kind of included in this. 
So then they anoint with oil. What is, what is that? I, I think this is mostly symbolic of God's blessing. Uh, there probably was some healing, some soothing qualities uh, to the oil. It was used for that often back then. And there was something, I think, powerful about the elder maybe applying this and, and, and physically touching and, and soothing uh, the hurting church member. Um, but the focus of the passage is on intercessory prayer. So I think what that communicates is that the oil in itself is not the healing agent here. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that the oil represents is this, that this person now is being set aside for special consideration. It's being set aside for prayer. That's always what anointing meant in the Old Testament. Think when David was anointing. He, wasn't, he didn't become king right away, but it was indicating to him that you are set aside and you have a future and you have a hope. And, this was, and I think all of that is kind of included in here. Isaiah speaks of the oil of gladness. There's an eschatological connection with, with anointing oil in the Old Testament that, that maybe is pointing people's hope. Maybe you're not going to get better, but this oil is, is letting you know you're set apart for prayer and, and, and letting you know you're set apart for a future and a hope. The prayer of faith is offered when the elders come and apply the oil I believe that this prayer of faith is referring to the faith of those who are praying. I believe it's referring to the faith of the elders. And I think this is really cool because, like I said, I think sometimes maybe it's just I don't have faith. My faith is struggling. And so I'm calling on brothers to come and surround me and lift me up in prayer and and let their faith support me. Let their faith strengthen me. Let their faith carry me to God because I feel like I just don't have it right now. And you think about it, there's, there's precedent for this. Think back in the book of Mark, chapter 2. Remember when those, those four guys carried their paralytic friend to Jesus? And they, they brought him to Jesus and, and they couldn't get in the house and then they go up on the roof and they tear the roof off the house and they lower him down. Jesus heals the man. Do you remember what Jesus, what, what, the, what Mark says when, when, when that healing took place? When Jesus saw their faith, plural, the faith of the friends who brought this man to Jesus. I think that's kind of the same thing James is getting at here, that sometimes my faith and your faith, lifting up a brother who's struggling with their faith, I think that's effective and and powerful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Prayer of faith that's offered. What's this prayer of faith, by the way, too? Does this mean, oh yeah, okay, like that... Our faith has to be strong, right? Fervent prayer, uh, power, like the, the faith has to be perfect. No, no room for doubt, no room for question. We've already seen the expression of the examples that James has used, right? Abraham, Job, he's going to use Elijah here in a minute, right? We know all three of those men had imperfect faith. All of those men struggled and had questions and doubts. The whole Hagar and Ishmael incident with, with, with Abraham and Job's questions of God and, and even Elijah, right? He goes into a deep, deep depression after the victory on Mount Carmel, right? These men struggled in their faith. So the prayer of faith does not mean, oh, God will only hear you if you try really hard and have this perfect faith. That's not it. It means, though, that I have confidence that my God can heal. It means I have confidence in who my God is and that he will accomplish his purposes, that he's using my circumstances to cause me to grow and lean on him. 
that he would give me what I need as he accomplishes those purposes, and that at the end of it all, Jesus will return and bring blessings to me beyond my wildest imaginations. This is the prayer of faith. It's a prayer that's offered in spite of how I feel. It's a prayer that's offered and grounded in who God is. C.S. Lewis writes again in Screwtape Letters, this uh, old demon talking to young demon. He says this, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. It's a great thought. Look around and God seems gone, seems vanished. And I don't feel like praying and I don't feel like following. But when I choose to do it anyway and maintain my faith with God, I think Lewis nails it. He goes, that's when the enemy and his forces are obliterated because they have no answer to that kind of faith. The prayer of faith. And here's what it says. God does respond, right? God does respond. The Lord will raise him up. The Lord, uh, the prayer of faith will save him. The Lord will raise him up. What does that mean? Save him. What is this, is this salvation he's talking about? I think it's probably broad in scope. I think it can include the physical. I think it can include spiritual guilt, condemnation. I think it could be pointing to eschatological hope. could be pointing to immediate relief. It could be pointing to growth like we saw with Job. The physical element certainly seems to be present there because that's in the immediate context. The connection with the forgiveness of sins spoken about here seems to indicate there is a spiritual dynamic as well. So again, I, I think it's broad. I think it's, it, it's both. Physical and spiritual often go together, right? And we've seen this work. We've seen God act. The last time our elders were called together to pray just was uh, like a, two months ago or so over, over Brittany, or, and she was facing some dire uh, medical needs and some real concerns, and they're going to have a big surgery, and they all, we all gathered at a house and prayed, and, and it was awesome. And, and sure enough, we get a phone call the next day, and, and praising God, like, look, this happened, and it was in accordance with, with how we had prayed, and, and right? And, but it doesn't always go that way, does it? It doesn't always go that way. And we have to be honest about that too. If some of us, given the reality and the circumstances of our life, sit here and we read James, we go, yeah, right, that doesn't happen. There isn't always healing. My loved one still died. My loved one is still suffering, right? Kathy's back, still hurts. There isn't always healing. Even the great missionary, Amy Carmichael, in India, there's an account where she prayed for a co-worker who was very, very sick. It was cancer. And they brought in these people and they prayed over her and they, uh, they put a palm leaf uh, upon her. And I don't remember what that represented. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, God, that we know that you will give the victory here in one way or another. That co-worker got sicker and sicker and the last week of her life was racked with incredible pain and suffering and ultimately died. But the acknowledgement in their prayer was that God still worked a victory. We may not see it, but God saved and God rescued. So what's the deal here? Is James overstating? Is he out of touch with reality? Is he blindly defending God in a theological position in order to save face? Is this some kind of used car salesman guarantee? Or does it mean that God doesn't act and heal, uh, that the one who's been praying hasn't tried hard enough or doesn't have enough faith? 
Maybe I just didn't pray with enough intensity. No. I think that there are multiple ways I can be saved without my circumstances changing. I can see God more clearly. I can be sanctified. I can have my spirit lifted and my perspective changed as we see many times in the Psalms. I, I've heard many times over the years, older, wiser people who have gone through the difficulties and challenges of life say things like, man, that was hard, and I never would have chosen it, but I would never trade it. That's people being saved, right? God teaching me to trust and building my strength through trials saves me, and it will continue to save me as I face greater trials throughout my life. The presence of this little boy in our home with special needs and everything that goes with that has saved me. He's shown me how selfish I am. How short I can be. How impatient I can be. It's a sanctifying process. I'm a better person. My circumstances aren't changing. But God is saving. He's working. Hmm. Be honest about sin. And pray for one another. James says, you know, when the elders are gathered, he said, if, if this person has committed sin, it'll, it'll be forgiven. I think part of what's going on here is, is, is part of this process of evaluating the sickness and praying together for the elders. I think the questions are, are implied. Like, is there any sin that's causing this? Is there any connection between the sin and the sickness? Sometimes, Scripture says, sometimes there is. 1 Corinthians 11, we'll be there in just a minute. We partake of the Lord's table. Paul says, why, you, you want to know why there's so many sick among you? Why you're suffering? Why you have these sicknesses? It's because you're partaking of the Lord's table un, unworthy. There's sin that you're not dealing with, and you're sick because of it. But we've got to be really careful. We don't want to be Job's friends either, right, and make these generalizations. Remember, Jesus was asked by his disciples, who sinned that this man was born blind? And Jesus said, nobody sinned. He was born blind so God's glory could be accomplished. So we don't want to make a blanket statement either way, but it's worth the investigation. It's worth the question, the consideration. And if sin has been present and part of it, then it comes out and it's forgiven. That's, that's a gift. He turns that into then this thing saying, you, you need to confess to one another. While we're talking about sin, here's the other great weapon. Confession of sin to one another. We don't like this. Because we have images to protect. We have facades to keep up. James says, no, you know, understand, one of the greatest weapons we have is the confession of sin to one another. Why? You think back through the themes of James. Humility, guarding the tongue, all of these things. You know one of the greatest remedies of, of pride is? Confessing our sins to one another. My brother knows my weaknesses and my sins. I'm not going to be prideful. And if I, if I know he knows my, my sins, my, I'm not going to go talking behind other people's backs because I know, I know what I am. And, uh, and my, my brothers who are walking through this life with me, they know what I am too. So if I'm talking bad about someone else, they're going to go, hey, wait a minute, didn't you just share with me your own? Yeah, you're right, you got me. That's a weapon, brothers and sisters. It keeps us humble. It keeps us connected. It keeps us united. And here too you can see the themes of James coming together, why he talks so much about guarding the tongue and why he talks so much about integrity, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? We gotta know that we can trust each other. Those things are so important because if they, that trust is in place 
and we know that this is a safe place and that what I go and tell Matt tomorrow, I'm not going to be on Facebook on Monday, right? Th- then we're going to be more apt to be open and honest and share the depth of our souls with one another. And he goes on in this, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That flows right out of that. Now here's the thing, and I never, never want to belittle this, and I never, never want to discourage this, right? But we do. We go to our small groups. We go to our hub groups. And what do we pray about? These are good things, and they're meaningful, and we need to bring them up. But we pray about my, my, my relative who's sick or dying of cancer or, or this issue that we're having or this financial thing or, yeah, you know, whatever. My sister's brother's uncle's man, you know what? Pray for those things, their concerns. But, but sometimes I feel like, isn't our prayer just stay at the shallow level with one another? And if we're confessing our sins to one another, our prayer for one another goes deeper. Now I can really grab hold of what is troubling my brother and I can bring that before the throne of God. James doesn't give a context here or the amount of people, right? I don't think this means that every Sunday morning, okay, come on up, line up, and have at it. Well, this week, I, you know, no. I think it, I think if there's public sin that's affected the whole body, that should be addressed publicly. But I think a lot of it just takes place within the context of brothers and sisters and small groups and saying, hey, man, I have a... And listen, I have seen God work so powerfully when people have been willing and honest to deal with their sin and confess it to one another, right? Take it seriously. Believe that powerful praying is available to regular people. Um, we don't have time to unpack this, but Elijah was a man, the nature just like yours. And he prayed powerfully. Elijah's prayer does influence God. Regular people can have powerful prayer lives. And lastly, going back to the sin thing, pursue and fight for one another. James closes this thing saying, listen, if a brother is struggling, wandering from the truth, why don't you worship team, why don't you guys come on up. If a guy's struggling, wandering, hey, Rescue one another. Right? We live in a culture like, no, I don't want to be guilty of judging. Judge not. What is meant in Scripture is not never calling each other out on sin. Right? It's just the right way and a wrong way to do that. We've already passed through what godly wisdom looks like in James, right? It's gentle. It's peaceable. And if I have that spirit with you, my brothers and sisters, that's how I deal with sin. I go to you gently. Even Jesus, right? That passage, don't judge. What does Jesus say? He goes, how are you calling out your brother? You have sin in your own life. Deal with that. And Jesus says, and then go engage your brother. So calling each other out in sin, it's a big deal. It's a great weapon. James closes by saying this covers a multitude of sin. Whose whose sin does it cover? The person who confronts or the person who's been confronted? I think the answer is yes, all of it, and then some. A multitude of sin, right? It helps me check my life. I confront Tom. Before I do that, I'm checking my life. Going, Man, I'm going to confront Tom on this, but you know what? I have a problem with that too. But then when I confront Tom, he's going to deal with it. That's going to prevent sin. And maybe that sin would have an impact on his children, on his wife. That's going to cover those sins. And maybe that sin is going to keep him from going down a road that's going to cause damage later on, and it's going to cover those sins. And the collateral damage that can come to the ministry by letting sin go on. So it saves a multitude. A few years back, we were doing uh, a project in our house. And I'll close with this. And uh, we, were, we had a bedroom 
that the people who lived there before us had used, and they, had had a, they put an electrical outlet in there. So there was in the unfinished part, and there was the finished part, and Rusty Brewster came over, and he was helping me with this. He pulled the panel off the wall, and the electrical outlet that was facing the, the, the finished part and the electrical outlet that was facing the unfinished part, they had connected them together. You know what they used? Lamp wire. They had cut lamp wire and, few, and, just, and just rigged those two things together. The coating on that lamp wire was all black and melted, and the insulation around it was black. Rusty was livid. He said to me, he goes, you realize you could have died. Your whole family could have died. Like how this didn't start into a house fire, he goes, it's beyond, I don't, it was, right, saving of life, the discovery of that wire prevented a lot of heartache and pain. What if kids had been sleeping over a house some night? Got to uncover the wires with each other and minister to one another. 